We've been unpacking, looking at, studying, if you will, the spiritual blessings that every believer has in Christ, which are listed in chapter 1, verses basically 3 to 14. Um, You may recall from a couple of weeks ago, uh, maybe three weeks ago or so, how I said that um, the spiritual blessings in this text also illustrate or show us the ministry of the triune God in our salvation. Like uh, in eternity past, the Trinity had maybe some sort of meeting where, and I don't know, I don't know how it worked out, I want to say this with reverence, but they worked out who was going to do what in the salvation of, of people. And the Father uh, was going to do certain things, and the Son and the Holy Spirit was going to do certain things. And, and those same things are our blessings. And we've already looked at the Father's ministry and His work, election, adoption, blessing us in the Beloved. Those are the three blessings and uh, components of the Father's work in our salvation. We've looked at those, and now we're going to begin to look at the Son's work, God the Son's work. And uh, so we're going to start up, and why don't you just turn right over to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. That's where we'll be today. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of excited about the subject, although I'm a little concerned um, with the amount of study that I got in, or I should say didn't get in. Uh, I only have a couple of days a week to work on this stuff, and sometimes um, you have to step away from your office or studies to minister to people. Whenever those needs arise, you have to do that. And this was one of those weeks where I found myself uh, ministering to people and, and not writing a sermon. And so, obviously, my wife last night was yelling at midnight, are you coming to bed? Um, so, you know, so. And then, you know, I, I started talking to her about it. I said, but, but you know, I, I feel like I've got I've to put in this kind of time and I've got to write a good sermon and all that. And, and, and she said, yeah, but think of the 99 and the 1. Once in a while, you have to break away from the 99 to do something for the one. And I thought, yes, but I'll still have to preach a sermon on Sunday, you know, and that's the 99, you know, and she said, yes, you will. And you know what? Your church loves you, and they're not going to be critical if you don't do something extraordinary. And I just thought, so you're saying I preach extraordinarily at times? <laughs> no, I'm not saying that at all, but, you know, it's like, well, okay, thank you. You know, I'm just digging the hole deeper, you know, but... So, you know, bear with me today. Um, I take these studies very seriously, and, uh, and uh, when, I, when I don't feel like I have adequate time, I, I don't feel like I should be doing it, and, and I, that's the way I feel, and I believe the Lord's will is you do it anyways, and you depend on me. And so if you don't have all the notes that you'd like to have, you don't have all the notes. You have. Guess what, Phil? You have to do something you haven't done in a while. Depend on the Spirit on Sunday morning. Just go freestyle. So we'll see how this turns out. I, I, my ultimate goal here this morning, even though I had little study time, is that you are built up and that God is glorified. And I'm not performing. And I've never tried to be performing, so forget about all that. So anyways... We uh, are going to be looking at the first, we're going to be looking at like the fourth blessing, if you will, but it's also the point in the text where we begin to look at the Son's work 
in our salvation. And I'm excited about that. You're over at Ephesians 1.7, right? I didn't hear any pages rustling, so maybe your iPhones or whatever, but that's okay. Let me pray and let's get to work. Father, thank you for this time and thank you for an opportunity to reflect upon one family's impact at this church and in this community. And that's another thing to consider. It's not just the impact that the Filburn Group has made, family has made here at this church, but the impact they've made on this community. And uh, they will be sorely missed. And, but we know that you have something for them to do in the future, and you're preparing them for that. And we rejoice in that. We rejoice in the fact that we were able to be a part of their lives for this time and to do ministry side by side with them and to be blessed and ministered to. Thank you again for them. And thank you for this time of study, Lord. I pray that you would preach. Uh, It wouldn't be me preaching. It wouldn't be me performing. It wouldn't be me speaking, heaven forbid. Father, would you speak to your people this morning and speak to those who are close to you, who know you, and speak to those who might be in this room who are yet far from you, that who do not know you yet. There might be someone here that does not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would minister to all here, and would you be glorified in this time. Open our minds and hearts to the truth. Help us to understand it, to live it, and to glorify you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Spiritual blessing number four. Cuatro, right? 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 Spanish. Redemption. Verse seven. Redemption. Uh, Let me read it. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Comma. Verse ends there. There are uh, six things. I know there's more than six, but I've got six things that I'd like to, uh, for us to notice from this text. And so I'm going to go right down the line, number one, number two, number three, and basically it's the verse. We're going to be breaking down the verse, but there's six things that I want to focus on in this verse. And, and firstly, uh, that would be in him. You see how the verse begins, in him. Who was Paul referring to here? Who's him? Who is the him? Who is the him? He was referring to the beloved back in verse 6. You remember we talked about that two weeks ago. The beloved, God's only begotten son, God's beloved son, who's his son? Jesus Christ. We're speaking of Christ. Paul is writing about Christ. Paul is writing about The beloved, that's who he's speaking of. So that's what this whole verse is pointing to. It's pointing to the beloved. Our redemption is in the beloved, is what the verse says. It's in him. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. It's in the beloved, God's beloved son. The text could read, in Jesus Christ, we have redemption. It could read that way. Uh, maybe there might be a translation or two out there that, that does that. Now, Paul was writing to a diverse group of Christians with various upbringings and backgrounds. Um, there were Jewish or Messianic Christians. You know, they were Jews at one time, and they're still Jewish by descent, um, but they converted over to Christ. And so there were Jewish believers, if you will, in the church. And quite frankly, as we notice from Paul's epistles, if you read pretty much all of them, you will notice that 
the Jews, once they got converted to Christ, they still had an amazing strong pull to the law of Moses, so much so at times that it was to their own detriment. It was like, okay, we believe in Christ, he's the fulfillment of the law, but I still have to obey all this stuff, and, I'm, you know, and it's still important, it's still a facet in my salvation, if you will, and these sorts of things. So you had these types of believers in the church, and there were also Gentile, Gentile meaning non-Jewish, that's you and I, unless you're Jewish, of course. There were Gentile believers who were in this church and who were, quite frankly, still being impacted by the rampant idolatry and false religion of the community. Um, We're talking about Ephesus here. If you were with us during our study of the book of Acts, we talked about Ephesus quite a bit, and it was a cultural melting pot. It was a religious melting pot. It had a huge, uh, you know, it had a huge temple in it to a false god. It had all of these things going. Um, You might remember it is the city where... uh, there were believers in this city that actually burned up their magic books. I mean, magic was a big thing, the black arts, the occult. These sorts of things were very prevalent in this community. So you had like the Jewish religion, if you will. You had the false religion of Gentiles and uh, Roman, you know, Greco-Roman religion, if you will, and and these sorts of things there, Uh, much like our large cities. Uh, in the United States today, which have multiple religions and idolatries and things flowing. Uh, this, this is the context uh, by which Paul is writing into. So you had believers that were kind of still dabbling in the law, if you will, in a way that wasn't right. You had believers who were non-Jewish who were still hung up on some of this stuff or wrestling with these things or at the very minimum tempted by these things. And what Paul does here is that he makes it lucidly clear that redemption is only in the beloved. It's in him, is what he's saying. It's it's not in your obedience to the Mosaic law. It's not in your uh, adherence to a false religion or to trying to earn your salvation or to bowing your knee to Artemis like you used to do. It's not in those things or in what you do It's only in Him. Who? The Beloved. In Him is what He says. And of course He's speaking into their context and trying to recalibrate them and trying to steer them to the Lord Jesus. MLJ, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, at the heart and center of the gospel stands the truth that there is no salvation at all apart from the Lord Jesus. Christianity is Christ, is what he says. He says, anything which may represent itself as Christianity, but which does not insist upon the absolute necessity and cruciality of Christ is not Christianity at all. He says, unless he is the heart and soul and center, the beginning and the end of what is offered as salvation, it is not Christian salvation, whatever else it may be. Martin Lloyd-Jones' point based on this is that it's only, redemption is only, salvation is only in him, in the beloved, in Christ. And I love how Paul just fires off in verse 7 with this, in him. That's, that's meant to put away with any 
idea or focus on anything else, whether it be on yourself and what you're doing and what you think you're achieving or some other religion or something that you're following and, and going at. Now, again, notice with me again how it says, in him, I put, you know, uh, in, I highlighted in. Uh, redemption will not be found near him because today you have saying, well, you have people saying, well, you know, I'm not really a Christian, but I do respect Jesus. It's like they come close to him in a way, but, but the text doesn't say that it's near him. Redemption isn't near him. Redemption isn't found close to him. Redemption will not be found next to him or around him. Okay? Redemption is only found in him. And, and, and you have a tremendous amount of people today that, that believe that they're okay by being close to Jesus. In fact, there, there are so many in our culture, the closest they get to Jesus is by using his name as a curse word. I can just assure you, based on the authority of God's word, the very first two lines in chapter 1, verse 7, it's in him. It's only in him. To become redeemed, one must be put in the Redeemer. We need to think outside of the box here. We often think that, well, Christ did something for me. It's kind of an external thing. He's my Savior. He's here. He's done something for me. I acknowledge Him like that. It's not enough to say that. You have to be in Him. Again, not close to Him. This salvation, this redemption that's being worked out is a, an internal work. It is the Spirit putting the very Christ in you and you in Him. And, and this idea of being in Christ, right, because it's only in Him, we talked about that the very first verse of this chapter, how Christians are uh, what? They are saints, they are uh, faithful, and they are in Christ. This work of being put in Christ was planned in eternity past. That those who would become Christians throughout the ages were already placed in Christ in eternity past in a sense, in a way. It's so necessary that we understand that it is only in Him. It's not by thinking things about Him. It's not by appreciating who He is and maybe what He did or thinking He's a good person or was a good man or a good teacher. You must be in Him. And He must be in you. And that's something that we receive by faith. We turn away from our sin and all reliance on all other things and we cry out to the Lord. It's in Him. That's the first thing. Second, in Him we have. We have. We have something. We, we possess something. We, we have something in the Beloved. It is not merely offered to us. It is not merely available to us. We actually have it. We possess it. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave to procure it for us. 
What is it? Number three, in Him we have redemption. Redemption. If you are in Christ, you have redemption. Period. Don't go back and forth worrying about your salvation. Don't don't base your eternal future upon what you do or don't do right or wrong or whatever. Your good deeds are good things. They're not bad things, but they bear no difference on your redemption. Redemption is based upon the merits of Christ, not yours. It does not say, in us we have redemption. It says, in Him we have redemption. And I have met way too many people who claim Christ, who say they're believers, who are so uncertain about their salvation. It's like they base their understanding on it on how well they perform. Well, you know, I I really don't have much prayer life. I don't make it to church that often. I use profanity at times. I do these things, and I just, I'm not sure if I am truly saved. And first thing I'm thinking is, well, you do all that. I'm not sure either. (laughs) But our salvation isn't based on whether we curse or not or on whether we attend church or not. Let me tell you, attending church is an important thing. But our salvation isn't based, our redemption isn't based on those things. It's not based on how well we do or how poorly we do. And yet there are countless people who don't understand the truth, who walk around very timid, very concerned, very worried. They have made a profession of Christ. They say they love Christ. They have turned away from self-reliance in these things. In a sense, they at least proclaim these things. And yet they are like scared, wet chihuahuas. They're absolutely frightened at the idea that God would pull something away from them, that he would take away his love and his eternal salvation. And yet we see right here in the next set of lines here that we have it. We have this redemption. Again, it's not something that's offered. It's not something that's out there. It's not something that God hopes we embrace. It's something that Christians have. And it's not something that Christians manage. (laughs) Now, redemption is an interesting word here. It's apolytrosis in Greek. Uh, And I have to always phonetically, because these words are like, huh? You should see how I write it out. It's hilarious. Uh, It's apolytrosis in Greek, and it basically means deliverance. If you were to boil it down, that's what it means. Deliverance. It means deliverance. The word picture here has to do with a slave being set free or liberated from bondage. There's also a legal dimension to it here. Redemption means to purchase out of. Okay, as if a fee or fine was paid to release someone from slavery from bondage. That's kind of what's going on here. That's what Paul is saying. The verse could read, in the beloved we have been purchased out of something. Of course a question arises. What has the believer, what has the Christian been delivered from? What have they been purchased out of? Well, I'll give you a quick list of what the Christian has been delivered from or purchased out of. Christians have been delivered 
purchased out of sin. They have been delivered from sin. Romans 6.18, you have been set free from sin and you have become slaves to righteousness. You see, before God worked that miracle of salvation in your life through the sending of the Holy Spirit, regeneration, illumination, all this stuff, conversion, you were a slave to sin. It's all you knew. It's what you understood. It's what you preferred. It's, it's what your flesh wanted at all times. It's what your mind was focused on. You know what you think? Well, I, I didn't really think that you know, I always wanted to go after sin. Well, it really is. You may not feel that way, but it really is as natural people, fallen people. It's our default mode. We pretty much go after whatever it is that benefits us and what we feel benefits us. And if it's sinful, then that's what we engage in. But you see, the redeemed have been delivered out of that mode, out of that mode of thinking, out of that mode of life, out of that default mode, if you will, and they have now been transferred over and have become slaves to what is right, what pleases God. This is massive deliverance here, just to be delivered from sin, and that's not all. That's huge. You've become, a, as a believer, a new creation with new desires and new wants. Doesn't mean you don't struggle with some of the old stuff. The old man rears his ugly, stupid zit face and causes trouble and wreaks havoc in our lives at times. We know this. Sometimes it's just little stumblings. But for the most part, you're a new creation. You've been delivered from sin. Sin is something that you now see as a negative thing. Before, you didn't really recognize it as a bad thing. Maybe somebody told you that's an evil thing that you're doing. Maybe you had some conscience left. It wasn't completely seared, you know, and, and, you know, blasted on the grill. But for the most part, you know, you now see evil and wicked and things that are bad as they truly are. That's one of the biggest signs that you're a real Christian, is that you can now recognize that something that is wrong against the will of God is sin. And then when you do those things, at times you feel bad about it and you repent and confess to a brother or something of that nature. Another thing, we have been delivered from the world. We've been delivered from sin, we've been delivered from the world. This is this redemption, this deliverance that us as believers have experienced and are experiencing. Galatians 1, 3 to 5, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This present evil age, that is the world. And it's not uh, it, it, when we think of the world here, we don't want to think of Yosemite and Half Dome. Wow, that Yosemite Half Dome is wicked. And I need to be delivered from that. Cameron Ayers would be in big trouble. He climbs the thing at least three times a year. You know, Nick Campos did it, and after he was done, his toenails fell off. It's a deadly hike. I have no idea why I said that. We think of the world and we think of its beauty and all this, and that's what we need to be delivered from. No, 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 no. We're talking about a mentality, a mode of thinking that is wicked and that is evil, that has set itself against God. A great example of this is the latest SCOTUS ruling, Supreme Court. That's worldly philosophy and worldly thinking. Uh, the world is, is, is all that is evil and has set itself against God. And quite frankly, every 
person, with the exception of those who are redeemed, have done that. They're all enemies of God. The world is this all-inclusive ideology that has set itself against God, that hates God, that loves sin, and that's pretty much most of the people you know. Maybe not all, but some. The world is not half-dome. It is an ideology. It is this enemy mentality. And you know what? As Christians, we have been delivered from it. We don't think the way that it does any longer. It doesn't mean that we aren't tempted by it. It doesn't mean that we don't dip our tootsies in the pool of the world once in a while and then say, wow, that was stupid. It just means that we don't agree with the direction that the people of this world are going in. We don't agree with these things now because we've been delivered from it. We have a different mode of thought. Uh, we, we might say that the Christian has more of a kingdom mindset now instead of a worldly mindset. He's thinking of Christ and Christ's reign and Christ's glory and Christ's righteousness. And he's thinking of, of sin being, and, and all the enemies of Christ being put under his you know, footstool and under his foot, made a footstool and put under his foot. We're, we're thinking of this kingdom and this coming king. That's the way the Christian thinks. But the worldly person thinks that the world is fine and it's great and I'm benefiting from it and Mother Earth is caring for me and, and all of this weird stuff. But see, we've been delivered from that mentality and that way and that mode. We have been delivered from the power and control of the demonic authorities. Colossians 2.15, He, Christ, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. You know, when Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave, the greatest enemy defeat in the known universe took place. And that was God defeating Satan and his minions. And as believers, we share in that victory. You see, as unbelievers, when we were